Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 61, Thursday, October 24th, 2019, and I've got a special one for you guys today. Earlier this afternoon, I talked to Sam Panianovich, a.k.a. Windy City Sam, former VEASAN host and former College Hoops play-by-play man here in Chicago. You've probably seen him on TV recently or heard him on the radio here in the Windy City. The dude's already a star, but more importantly for our purposes, he is a guy who gets it. He understands the sports betting industry as well as anyone and knows literally everyone. So it was an honor for me to bring him on the pod for all of you today. We talk about a variety of things, including the state of the sports betting industry, Illinois legalization, and then, of course, we deep dive into Mitch Trubisky and our Chicago Bears and the Chicago sports teams. Really quickly, though, is... As long as the Nationals don't sweep the Astros in the World Series this weekend, on Sunday, we have a chance for the 19th ever recorded Sports Equinox, a day where a game is played in all four uh, major American sports, NFL and NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, which is pretty damn cool. So pay attention for that. Sunday could be a pretty crazy day, the 19th recorded day in modern sports history where we get that. But without further ado, let's jump right into my interview with Sam. After the interview, stick around for a quick best bets segment where I will quickly dish out a few more best bets at the current market numbers as of Thursday night. And of course, we'll hear from our resident degenerate, the Danimal, who's been making money this year on this podcast for uh, for anyone who's been following his pick. So, all right, let's get right to it. Our interview with Windy City Sam. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to bring on the first Doggy Juice Pod guest who is such a big deal that he has a blue check mark next to his name on Twitter. Chicago's very own Sam Paniatovich, aka Windy City Sam. He's here with us now. How's it going, Sam? It's going great, Mike. Good to be here. And uh, I'll give you that 20 bucks for that tremendous <laughs> intro. <laughs> all right. I'll take it all in once, please, because yeah. I want to hit up a, a local establishment later tonight, maybe. I don't know. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, I mean, you're, you've been around this industry for a long time. You're Chicago born and bred, but how did you, uh, tell us about like your history. Like how did you first break into the radio? Well, it's funny. I actually was going through some boxes. I was unpacking some stuff from Vegas today and I found this old nameplate from when I was working overnight hotel security at a hotel downtown and, and the Westin made us list our passion. And I, I was laughing because I knew we were going to do the show today. And I found this nameplate and the passion said radio. So I was in high school and I started doing just radio out of my basement on the internet for this sports network that doesn't really exist anymore. And I started doing it more and more and then got down, got down to university of Illinois and decided, all right, I want to do this. But the problem is I spent more time doing radio shows in my dorm and in my apartment than I did going to class. So when it came time to committing to a program, I was undecided at the time. I didn't have a, a parent um, umbrella. I, didn't, I wasn't in the College of Media or College of Science or whatever. So I was undecided. I didn't have a home. And I had to apply. So I applied to the College of Media. And I said, here's all the stuff I'm doing. Here's what I want to do. Here's my show. Here's my podcast. And they're like, yeah, well, your grades suck. So you can't get it. <laughs> So I left and transferred to Columbia College, downtown Chicago. And they were giving me opportunities to do stuff right away so while i was working part-time overnight hotel security i was also interning at different stations around chicago and then calling college basketball play-by-play for the uic flames which i ended up doing for about 10 years after the fact so it 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 started as a hobby in high school 
and then it morphed into a career. And it's it's funny looking back at that nameplate. You know, I'm 30, just turned 30 in March. Ten years ago, I knew what I wanted to do. I figured it out late in the game, but that's really how it started. Man, that's crazy. I mean, it's everyone has their own unique story, but that one's really unique. And Columbia is like really good school. My best friend who lives out in LA works in the film industry. He went to Columbia, and they've helped him get really awesome. They're like really good with like the hands-on stuff. He he's had internships like when he first broke out of Columbia. He interned at Conan O'Brien, worked at at uh, Universal Studios. So they really do a good job of setting you up with that real-world experience at Columbia. They give you the toolbox and they let you pretty much do it yourself. You know, at U of I, I remember sitting down with one of the guys at the Daily Illini. The station there is WPGU, and that was the real chin in the air station, you know, where all the kids from Naperville end up working. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're like, yeah, well, you know, maybe by the time you're a senior, you can have a show. And I get to Columbia and they said, oh, we don't even have a sports show. Would you like to host it two hours? <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, would you like to call UIC basketball? Yeah, I would. Would you like to cover a Bulls game? Hell yeah, I would. So here's the platform. Here's the easel. Here's the brush. You do what you got to do. And I think that was the best part about Columbia. They also allocated your schedule accordingly. So they let you do, rather than you know your traditional um, undergrad, you're doing like a 10 to 10.50 Monday, Wednesday, Friday you were able to do at Columbia three hours, like you did all your three hours for one course a day. So you did Monday from four to seven. So I could I could load my Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays at school, and then I could intern all day Tuesday and Thursday. So they really made it easy for your schedule, and you were flexible to do uh, really whatever you wanted to do. So I'm very grateful for uh, the opportunities they gave us. And yeah, like they set you up with the internships, but – just because you had an internship didn't mean that it turned into a job. You had to bust your ass. And right. uh, luckily, I was able to make a couple of things work over the time. Right. Well, Columbia College administrators, please send that $20 to Sam and I, and preferably all singles, yeah. all singles if you can. Um, so, so moving on from college then, because I, I first encountered you. This is weird for me to actually host this podcast, quote unquote, um, uh, with you, because I'm familiar with you in, in the host chair because you worked for VSIN. Um for a year. That's how I first um, discovered you. And you were, you were great at hosting the shows there and stuff. How did that come about? And can you tell us more about your VSIN experience? Sure. Yeah. I, I reached out to them. They were looking for hosts. And um, Chicken Dinner was a podcast we started. Joe Ostrowski and I, who is, is rising, he's now at Enter oh, yeah. Radio.com Sports doing You Better You Bet. And he's one of the big voices in Chicago gambling, Chicago sports betting, I guess, for that matter. But him and I did this show because we worked for not competing stations, but we were on different parts of the dial. He's on the score and I was on 720. So we were just shooting the crap one day. And uh, I said, look, man, we should do a show on sports betting. There's nothing here in Chicago that would allow us to work together. There's also nothing in Chicago that talks sports betting. So we started this podcast called Chicken Dinner. And long story short, VEASAN tried to hire Joe. They wanted him to move out to Vegas, move his family out. He, he has a wife and two kids. And he just wasn't – he wasn't all in on the move. I know the family wanted to be close to home and the parents are still around and everything. So he couldn't do it. They then offered him a podcast, which he took. But then VEASAN said, you can't do chicken dinner anymore. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> So VEASAN killed Chicken Dinner Part 1. So I had to find a new co-host, and Joe Romano did a great job. 
So then two, three months go by and VEASAN's still looking for a host. And I, I actually took it to myself and I reached out to them and I emailed some of the guys in the front office and said, hey, here's some of the stuff I've done. Here's chicken dinner. Here's some interviews I've done. Here's my portfolio. If you still need hosts, let me know. I'm willing to relocate. And I think they saw that last line of the email and they thought, oh, all right, all right here we go. Here's somebody young and cheap and, you know, that, that's looking to bolster our bench because initially I didn't know what I was going to do. They hired me as a host, reporter, producer. And, and at first I, I didn't have my own role. I didn't have my own show. I wasn't working with humans yet. So it was really just sort of a whim. I just packed up everything. I drove across the country in February of 2018 and I put in about 15 months at VEASAN before it, it went south. And that's a different topic for a different day. But yeah, I, I reached out to them and, and they needed the help because they were going to add more programming and they needed the bodies. Really? That's what it came down to. Right. Well, I, I've been a big believer in what they've been building, not necessarily the way they've been building it, but I've, I mean, you and I have talked about this. I think there's that massive void here, or there was the massive void, at least, you know, you said you went out there in February, 2018, and that was two months or what, three months before it passed, but was overturned. But we, you and I've talked about this. We both uh, agree that there's, there's just going to be such a demand, especially where we're from Chicago for sports betting content. And, and there really isn't much. I mean, I know some of like, you know, the ESPN 1000, they do a little show on there now. And then Ostrovsky, obviously, as you mentioned, he's been grabbing the bull by the horns with, with 670, the score. But I think there's going to be a real appetite for this stuff in the future. And, and I, I know you agree with this too. So it, it seems like that VEASAN experience that you got, I mean, you can tap into that in the future, you know, with whatever you end up doing. No doubt. I mean, the opportunity they gave me, they gave me a, a satellite radio show on XM and the, the platform that they gave me was incredible. Um, you know, the opportunity to walk into a sports book every single day and work and talk to these sports book guys like Chris Andrews and Jimmy Vaccaro at the South Point and, and just not so much talk to them like while they're at work, but the conversations you have with them at lunch. What when they're talking about what it takes to move a number from three to three and a half, and and when do they move it from four to three and a half, and and how much of a big bet does it take to move a number, and and how do they come to this total, and just the the sausage making process, and then John Murray over at the Westgate, and Tony Miller at the Golden Nugget, Chuck Esposito at Station Casinos, these are guys that I talked with multiple times a week, so I was always a better. I bet from the age of like 14 or 15 here in Chicagoland. I, I that's met, late, man. That's late. You started it, that late. It's late. <laughs> I did the March Madness pools and stuff in you know, high school, but I wasn't, I didn't have accounts until I was probably like 16, 17. So sure. I, I had the betting and, and I, I was a bad better until I became a better better. And you know how that goes. So mm -hmm. I had to combine because my show, when I did shows, I wanted to give perspective from, the odds maker, the bookmaker, and the better. All right, how is the line made? The bookmaker, how do you take the bets? Where do you move the line? How do you move the money? And then the better. Okay, what can I bet? Where can I bet it? How can I bet it? So I always tried to, to incorporate all three arms of bookmaking and betting and odds making and try and funnel that into what I thought was an entertaining program. And I think more times than not, we did a good job. Oh, no, yeah, it was amazing. It was Part of my daily routine, just watching you guys. I mean, still, some of those decent shows still are. I, I still think that uh, Polly Howard and Mitch Moss um, Follow the Money is like the best thing going. They're great. Those two together, and I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people in this business, and I'm not talking sports betting. I'm talking about just media in general. 
there are so many people that when the light goes on, they turn into somebody that they're not. And it's fine. I mean, it's fine to have a character and it's fine to be a persona or whatever, but those guys are the same guys they are on and off the air. I Paulie, I've watched Polly Howard sweat Moneyline Parlay. <laughs> I've I've watched Mitch and them play the video poker. I've, I've, I've drank with those guys, went to dinner with those guys. Those two guys, they are genuinely or genuinely, they are the same guys they are on and off the air, in and out of the studio. And I think when you have that, and they're such relatable guys. Right. You know, I mean, right. They're about, sweating games, yeah, just like us. Sweating games, yeah. Now they I will say this. They're on in the morning, very early, four to seven Pacific. So they never had to sweat bets live like I had to do when I was doing <laughs> the green zone. There was one time I had like five hundred dollars on a football game, and it was the game that Bill O'Brien completely it was it was first and goal at the one. And I'm mind you, the game is on in the studio, and my job is to <laughs> monitor all the games. And, and at this point, I think it was a 10 a.m. slate West Coast. So there's seven or eight games in the morning. And I'm trying to channel what's going on in all these games. And we pit, and if there's a big moment or a big play, I have to go there. So I'm looking at all these televisions. I needed a touchdown from the Texans. I got first and goal at the one. <laughs> And Bill O'Brien got the Sean Watson and the shotgun at the five, right? They, they of had, course, of course. They, had, they were down four or five. I needed a touchdown, and I'm on the air, so I can't, I have to maintain my composure. But at the same time, I got a nickel on the Texans to win the game. So I, I'm being tortured because they go for it four different times. I think three of the four were out of the shotgun, and then on fourth and goal, they don't end up getting it, and I lose my bet. But I'm still on the air, and I can't really swear or i can't (laughs) can't lose my lunch but it was quite a balancing act to be on the air when you have skin in the game and you're on national radio hell worldwide radio it's xm radio it's everywhere it was a tough (laughs) act to balance sometimes that's hard yeah bill o'brien shame on him for putting you in that situation he's prone to doing that to a lot of people but that's that's unreal. I mean, I don't know how you juggle all that, especially like on a Sunday morning with all that going on. But I mean, I see that now, like some of the shows they do live um, at night, you know, half the time they're glancing up at the screen, you know, the, the World Series screen or something like that. But that's that's an interesting aspect of being a sports betting you know, on-air reporter when you have skin in the game like that. It's like impossible. Mike, I'll tell you what, there was nobody like that show that, that we did, The Green Zone, and I worked with Brady Cannon and then it eventually became a show with Kenny White and myself. There was nobody that ever did a show like that. Mm-hmm. So Rick Jaffe was our executive producer. He no longer is at Beeson. He's now at Nesson in Boston, in Massachusetts. And he just said, just be yourself. Because there's no like there's no precedent. There's no show that had ever been like that. Like we've had shows, we've had game day college game day radio on ESPN. We've had shows where we're following games, but Never did we have shows where we're incorporating not only the live action and the live lines, but all these things that materialize. Uh, Jared Goff, his passing yard total, 255 and a half. He's sitting at 250. It's the fourth quarter. Rams are down one. Can he complete one more? Oh, it's picked off. <laughs> you know, so you're tracking all this different stuff, but there's no, uh, there's no show that's ever done it. So there's nothing really to copycat. It, it was really – it was an incredible experience because there was no right or wrong way to do it. It was the way you did it or it was bust. Yeah. I mean, you were trailblazers back then. You were the first one. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So 
in terms of like, you know, this industry, before we jump into our, the state of our Chicago teams, and I know we want to talk about the Bears, although any delay we could do on that is probably good. But what's your thoughts like the, on the actual industry itself right now? We're both Chicago guys. We both live in Illinois. We've been following this this bill that was passed in June, but still moving super slow. But uh, from the actual like aspect of sports betting here in Chicago, what, what are you what are your thoughts and predictions for where things are going to go in the next like next couple of years? I feel like I've been blindfolded since May. Like I don't know, I don't know what's coming. I don't know where it's coming from. I, I read all the stuff, and I think there's a lot of great sites out there that chronicle what's going on. I think Mitch from the Sun Times has done a great job of it. And there's a lot of you know sports content gambling writers that are doing a good job. The problem is we just don't know what these politicians are up to, mm-hmm. and I thought. Well, when PASPA was struck down in May of 2018, I thought, all right, well, Illinois will be ready. They'll be taking bets by March Madness 2019. That was my optimism because I thought, all right, the state is broke. They need the money. It's very simple. It's a slam dunk. Like, let's make this work. Let's cross the T's, dot the I's, and let's be ready to go. Here we are, October of 2019. And I talked to somebody the other day. said, yeah, I don't know if we'll be ready by April 2020. I'm thinking, oh, my God. Like, think about how much money Illinois is leaving on the table, not only in October and September and Indiana started, I think, I think Indiana and I would both started in September, September, October, November, December, we go all the way to April, 2020. And that might be done by then. We're talking six months of profit where our statesmen are crossing the border of the West, crossing the border of the East and laying down to trying to give you money. They're trying to make price and, and they can't do it because the state can't figure it out. And, and that's the problem when you have too many cooks in the kitchen, like the Boston Celtics last year, when you had, you know, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and you had all these guys, Terry Rozier, like you have one basketball. The Boston Celtics are like the state of Illinois. There are too many cooks in the friggin' kitchen. Right. Too many. I've been preaching that like since day one, I started this podcast last September. That was literally since day one. That's been my fear. I've been saying it on here and just too many hands in the cookie jar. There's too many competing interests. And then you see like the, you know, the Arlington racetracks of the world here basically come out publicly and say, we're not even going to apply for a license the way the law is currently written, just because it's so overburdensome. The big sticking point for me, besides the the official data, you know, mandate that's in the law, that's very confusing. That's a whole separate issue, but, but the, um, the lack of, of mobile, you know, for, for the first, or or, sorry, the requirement of in-person mobile registration for the first 18 months. I mean, just, that alone is going to keep so many people on their couch downloading the offshore apps instead, or, or like you said, traveling to across state lines into Indiana or, or Iowa, who have way better. Like their laws in the other states are so much different. If you look at the Iowa law; it's so reasonable. The tax rate, the licensing structure, everything, and they were able to get going really quickly. And we're missing out on all that revenue. We missed out on this entire football season. And now, like the big worry here in Illinois, like you said, is are we going to be ready by next football season? To use to lose out on two of them would be criminal in my opinion now the mobile sign up i think that's a little overblown because you know even at the south point where vsin broadcasts from you still if you wanted to sign up for a mobile account you still had to walk in and, and sign up physically so I, I it's hard to get a mobile account without actually going in and showing your driver's license and proof of address and all that so i i think that's a little overblown because you have to walk in number one give them your information they have to see who you are and, and verify that then you have to give them the cash put in the account so i that's a little – I think that issue is a little overblown. Um, my thing is, though, you're looking at, you know, because Hawthorne Racetrack, which 
is is I what I heard they're spending four hundred and fifty million dollars on a casino, resort, theater, bowling alley, restaurants, all that stuff. They're bringing in points bet. So mm-hmm. you're looking at these operators here in Illinois, and I know guys that are hedge fund managers, and I know guys that are local bookies that are like, hey, how do we? How do, well, you need twenty five million dollars for for a right. license. But if you attach yourself to a casino like PointsBet is, you only pay $10 million. So that's the rush here. All these operators or potential would-be operators are trying to find the brick-and-mortar joints to align with because some people had $10 million or they had $15 million. To go from 10 to 25 then $15 million doesn't just hang on a tree. You don't just find an extra $15 million. So now there's – all these casinos that are going up, but eventually they're going to partner with points bet or, and when DraftKings and FanDuel are allowed back in, there's only so many places to align with. So it's really the race or the rush to align with an establishment to save yourself $15 million. That's going to be even wilder once we are uh, trying to iron all that stuff out. Right. No, it's true. And like, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the Ohio or something, the, uh, the off or the online only up, um, license is going to be there's a delay on that too correct i think that's like a, a year or, or it's 18 months it's 18 later 18 i think months. yeah the track, track. but you can have it if, if you like if if points bet goes into hawthorne they can there's it, it's the points bet sportsbook at hawthorne right and they, they help build that brand and then once they lift that arm you're able to drive right by and then it's the the points bet mobile app so exactly. it, it's an opportunity for a company to come in sort of lay the foundation, iron out all the kinks, and then 18 months later, all right, we're ready to rock with mobile. Right. So like right now, like DraftKings and FanDuel could partner with like a Rivers Casino, but they can't use the DraftKings FanDuel name. They could use the technology, but they have to be branded right. under under the Correct. Rivers Casino. So um, yeah, it's interesting the way the skin license will work out here in, in Illinois. I mean, uh, but I, you know, at, the, at this point, I'm just hoping that they could start moving on to that, you know, the license granting um I guess stage because right now they're they're stuck in limbo and I know that just a couple months ago they opened up I think they they actually closed it a, a few weeks ago but a one month um, open comment period I don't know if you if you read any of those comments I, I sent a pretty lengthy email to the Illinois Gaming Board because they opened it up to comment from stakeholders and and people who are who are genuinely interested in in hearing their voices or having their voices heard uh, throughout this process I don't did you pay attention to any of those. I did not. I'm I'm just going to take this a different direction. I'm amazed at how you're like so involved in this, but you're not. You know what I mean? Like you're. Like, how many emails have you sent on this topic in the last year? How many do you think? <laughs> well, there's a reach out to a few. A few you want to set an over under, and I'll I'll give you a. a nice uh, I'd set okay. So you, you sent me an email, so that's one okay. email. You sent an email there. I'm gonna let's jack the total. I'm gonna say in the last year. In sports betting terms, you probably sent about 72 and a half emails. Oh, man. It's like cold call emails, hard under. But like overall, you know, back and forth emails, that's not the worst number. Probably still the under, though. But yeah, in terms of like cold call, you know, like I I sent an email out to um, uh, Zalewski, you know, the lawmaker who was was working on the law for a while. And and I I used to applaud his his efforts, too, uh, throughout that whole process because he was working with so many competing interests. And that must have been just a a complete nightmare, you know, as a lawmaker. And I, I don't, I usually don't give lawmakers too much, um, I don't know, leeway, especially here in Illinois, but, but, uh, you know, that must've been quite the task to, to balance all those interests with everybody coming at you from so many different sides. I mean, remember that ad blitz that we were getting for like a good few days here that the FanDuel and DraftKings were behind basically going after, uh, rivers and some of those other casinos. 
Yeah, I remember that. I mean, it was wild. And I was in Springfield. I remember I went down with my dad who was lobbying for video poker and also for sports betting. And, you know, we're down there and, and the, the shift in the perception. I remember going down there a week before deadline because, you know, May 31st is the date. You know, that's the date you're supposed to get everything done. And then if it has to go to extra time, then you need a super majority, which is not just 51 percent. You need 60 percent. So a week before May 31st, the the um, the language out of Springfield and the rumors out of Springfield, it's not going to get done. And I kept saying, no, it, it's, got, it's got to get done because you have the right people in leadership. Zaleski was the one that moved it along. But then once you got the power and the respect of Tony Munoz, Illinois state senator, and Bob Rita, state rep, once those two helped guide it to where it needed to go, and then you had – uh, J.B. Pritzker, the governor, who I was told was going to do whatever it took to get it done. You give Zaleski a whole bunch of credit. Zaleski was sort of like – he's like the running back that took it 80 yards and then the right. – like Mike Allstott ran it in, right? <laughs> right. That's a great Mike Allstott, but without without your, uh, your between-the-tackles guy and your guy running outside, you're not going to get down to the goal line. So it, it was a collective effort, and the three of them worked together. And even though Mike took a step back – he was still there all the way down to the end. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the offensive lineman in your analogy there was the gaming package, the, the more expansive gaming package that the sports betting law went under. I think that's what finally, obviously Rita had a lot at stake with that. He's been, he'd been trying to get that gaming package done for several years. So he, he took it personally to the point where like when I was watching live, when they were you know announcing the voting um, on that fateful day, I think it was June, June 2nd. And uh, Rita was actually in tears when, when they're reading off the votes because he had put so much time into the gaming package. So yeah, so Senator, Terry Senator Terry Link was another one. I should be. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's Link who I, I was, everything I just said was, I meant to say Link. Yes. He was the one that was in tears. I mis, misspoke there. Rita was Ed, involved. That foursome was so important without all four of those gentlemen, Link, Rita, Munoz, and Zaleski, we're talking about a state that doesn't have a pass. No, it's, I guess passed is the wrong word because it is technically passed, but it isn't a law yet. And there's still a lot of avenues that they have to pave over. But yeah, those four guys definitely made it work. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like there's a lot still to be done, but I, you know, before we put a bow or before we jump onto the, on the other stuff, let's put a bow on this. Have you heard anything um, in terms of like timeline on, for this fall or, or anything regarding you know next steps because like the way I understand it is the gaming board right now took all the comments they're going through them and they're gonna they're gonna revisit everything this fall once they're uh, I guess when everyone's back in session session as well so I don't know have you heard anything in terms of a timeline they've done a very good job of being so simplistic with it they say fall right okay <laughs> I don't I, I haven't been in third grade in a while so I don't know when fall starts and when that's right it is <laughs> I keep thinking in like August terms it's freaking like we're recording this on October 24th so I'm, I'm actually that. <laughs> fall months right now so the fall months are September October and November yeah. so yeah I guess if we're holding them the latest terms we should have a solution by Thanksgiving but again that's not I mean that's not contractual. That's that's their goal. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. I if I had to bet over under fall, I'd probably take the over and think we're probably crossing into winter by the time the gaming board gets all their stuff together and uh, and then the governor has to look at it again and the lawmakers have to look at it and the you know the operators have to look at it and the taxpayers have to look at it. So it's it's a it's a long process and I'm not very optimistic that it'll be done by Thanksgiving. 
Right. And then the licensing process, which itself takes forever. And especially, you know, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say the process for issuing out licenses in Illinois is not going to be one of the faster ones. Um, if, I made the over under, if I made the over under April 1, 2020, that we'll take a bet in Illinois, would you take over or under I, or after? Yeah, that's, I was just going to say, we should set a line. I, I, man, that's tough. That's a great number. That's sharp, man. Like April 1st, I want to be optimistic there. But at the same time, I think I'll take the over and here's why. Because I don't think there's as much of a rush. Well, I guess you, know, you have NBA playoffs and baseball season will be kicking off. But like, I feel like they'll be less rushed after March, March Madness ends and you know the Masters passes through. I guess you have NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. But there's kind of in the summer lagging months. You know, besides like the Euro, the Euros and stuff going on, there's not much of like a a push. You know, like a, a desire to get get it done quickly at that point. So I'll take the over. I'd probably take the over too, and I think in some weird roundabout way. Illinois is able to look at some of the states right now that are going through good times like New Jersey. Um, and then also conversely look at states like Oregon. Like they, they don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't get me started. What they're doing. So, That's so, bad. so you have now a chance to amend some of the wrongdoings in this bill, just because the bill passed as is, doesn't mean that it can't be changed. So right. they can go through and they can find these flaws in the bill and if there really is no rush, like we obviously don't think there is one, because if there was one, it would already be legal. They can iron everything out and roll out the best possible platform by next July or August as we get ready for college football and pro football. They don't care about like NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. That's yeah. nothing compared to the NFL and college football. It's really it. And it's not like, I mean, not expecting the local teams to be involved too, you know, in those in the NBA and NHL playoffs. So, I agree with you. I think before next football season would be, I mean, it's kind of criminal that it would be that late, but if they can get it done by then, I think that's a pretty realistic, uh, pretty realistic goal. But um, let's move on. Let's talk about our Chicago teams. Now let's actually, let's shift this because we've been talking about boring legal stuff, but let's actually talk about the nitty gritty, the stuff that uh, people want to hear our Chicago sports teams, man. Let's start with the bears. I mean, this is just excruciating the way the season's going right now. Um, I'm sure you've talked to guys beforehand. You you knew more more than most about Trubisky before the season started. I mean, a lot of guys were were on it, you know, last year. But um, no, it's just it has been a brutal start. And I think Chicagoans are finally coming around. They finally seen the light on Trubisky that he's just not the guy. He's a nice guy. I mean, I, I've always said I wish you could have Trubisky's temperament on you know with Jake Cutler's arm, but unfortunately that's not the case but what, how the hell do the bears what the hell do they do moving forward sam that Nagy has to put him in better situations that's for sure i mean you can't trot him out there in the first half of a 12 10 game that was the score at the half 12 to 10 so it's not like the game script really changed how do you how do you call over 20 passes and only five runs so bad play calling yeah. like he he sort of he Matt Nagy thinks he's the smartest guy in the room sometimes, and I think that combination with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, those guys have been given so much rope, but eventually the rope runs out, and I, you have to establish a running game. You can't just drop back. I mean, the Packer game, didn't Trubisky drop back 50 times on Thursday night football against the Packers? You just can't do that because if you know his strengths, his strengths are – operating out of the RPO and building off of the run game. He's, he's not going to drop back and pick you off. He's not going to, you know, throw 65, 70% accurate 
and throw receivers open. He has to literally he, – he's so reliant on hitting the open target, but then he can't scan the field either. So it's – he hasn't developed well. And I'm not saying it's over for Mitch. Um, on the flip side of that, though, and, and here's a tease, I, one of my picks, I picked four picks a week. I did lay the four with the Bears because I think of – of all the defenses they've played so far, this will be the easiest one, even even easier than the Redskins to put mm-hmm. points on the board because the Redskins are they're, they're they're bad, they're a bad team, but defensively they're sneaky sneakier than people would believe. The Chargers are like bottom five, bottom six in almost every defensive metric. They're twenty seventh in DVOA, they're 29th against the run. I think they're bottom ten against the pass. And I don't, I don't like their offense at all. Phillip Rivers is out there shot putting the ball. No, um, the run game is not good because the offensive line is bad. Like that Charger team, they, they suck. And I think if you look at the ATS mark, ATS mark to me is a real testament of how good a team is against perception because it, here's the number and what's the record. They are 1-5-1 one, and one against the number. And I know the wise guys always love to bet. Phillip Rivers as a dog getting points because, you know, five minutes left in the game, he's going to be down a touchdown one way or the other. So I understand it, but it's gotten so low now, and the perception on Mitch is so bad that I only have to lay four now? I'm going to do it. I wasn't going to lay six. I wasn't going to lay six and a half on the look ahead. But the Bears have played the Vikings. They've played the Saints. They've played the Packers. uh, And there's one more top ten defense that they've played already this year – uh, it's it's escaping me right now. The Vikings. The Vikings, yeah. They, yeah. Played, they played four really good defenses. And, yeah, Mitch hasn't looked that good. He should look good against the Oakland Raiders. He should look good against the Washington Redskins. He should look good against the Miami Dolphins. And I think he will look good against the L.A. Chargers. Yeah, I mean, if the Bears have any get-right matchup that's, like, tailor-made for them, this is it because the Chargers are so banged up and they've had guys dropping left and right. And then on top of that, if you want to, like, coach, you know, obviously Trubisky – or, sorry, Nagy's had his issues and stuff. Um, and I agree with what you said before that I think he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. But if you want to coach a coaching mismatch in favor of the Bears, I mean, Anthony Lynn is just <laughs> seems like a nice guy. But, oh, my God, the team just keeps finding new ways to lose the Chargers team. But tracking back to Trubisky, like and I, I've been on this since before the season started I, and Warren Sharp really did a good job. He's one of my favorite follows on this stuff. And he was all over it that Trubisky uh, or Nagy limited Trubisky last year. He played to Trubisky's strengths by uh, most of the routes that he threw, most of the passes that he threw last year, like an overwhelming majority were, were just simple curl routes, simple out routes, the screen passes. He kept it easy. You know, Trubisky can make that first read, make the throw. And he obviously has the arm strength to do it, not the accuracy, but, but now teams have had an entire off season to prepare for Trubisky, prepare for that. And he never took the next step. Nagy now, you know, you can't put him in those same spots again, because teams are stacking the box on Trubisky. They're daring him to throw down the field and, as we've seen, I mean, outside of like a long, the only long catch that really comes to mind that was was any good was uh, one of Gabriel's long catches against the Redskins. But he, that was a ball that was thrown out of bounds that Gabriel somehow miraculously hauled in for a touchdown, I think, on the overturned it on replay. So I just think it's a situation where, like you said, Trubisky, he's not being put in the, a good spot to succeed. And teams are, they, they've learned over the offseason how to attack this guy and the book's up on, on that guy. And along those lines, I'm wondering, and not just because I own him in fantasy in a couple of leagues, but David Montgomery. I mean, they, as you said, they ran the ball. It was seven total times they ran the ball for, I think it was like 27 yards or whatever it was last week or 17 yards, whatever it was. And 
they're not giving Montgomery the ball. I thought that this guy, you know, they, this is the same guy that they traded up for out of Iowa State, um, the draft this year. And you'd figure if they traded up to get him in the third round, they're at least going to give him more play. But they're, they're throwing out Tariq Cohen, you know, in those predictable little dump off passes. I think he had like nine catches for 19 yards, something which is even more absurd than any of the other stats. So I think the Bears are just, it's a combination of the Bears becoming predictable on offense, teams having an offseason to learn how to game plan for Trubisky. And then Matt Nagy, just for some reason, I, I, do you have any explanation for this Montgomery, like lack of, of uh, playing time? I and mean, he's, he, he keeps showing flashes, getting looks and stuff. But like last week, he took another regression in terms of his, uh, of the amount of touches he got. Every game's different. I was stunned. He didn't play more in that Packers game, but I think after he fumbled, didn't he fumble against the saints? And that was, I believe, yeah, he that did. was pretty much it for him there. Look, I don't have an issue, and I've said this for years, not just with the Bears, but with any team that trades up and drafts the player that they want. I have no issue with you being aggressive and going up and getting the guy you want because if that's the guy you really want and if you believe he's going to work, go ahead and get him. The problem is when you trade up for a dudded quarterback and a dudded Running back, I mean, <laughs> those are all right. It doesn't really get much more important position wise than quarterback, running back. Now, you need a good offensive line to keep everything harmonious, but the offensive line is falling apart. And, and Kyle right. Long is Kyle a, out. Yeah. He's a shell of his former self. I mean, he just, he just is. He, he doesn't have it anymore. And I, I like Kyle Long. That's nothing against Kyle Long, the person. But if you turn the tape on and you look at the metrics, he's not the player he used to be. So, when your line is struggling for cohesion and they can't get it together as a five-man unit, your quarterback who can't read a defense yeah. and your running back who still doesn't really know the X's and O's of the NFL and how to carry himself, it's a bad mix. I mean, they're literally getting by on this defense, which, again, had to give away two first-round picks to get Khalil Mack. <laughs> so organiz- that's why they're screwed organizationally like they can't get better people are like oh let's trade for cam newton let's trade like what are you going to trade what what do you in the cupboard you you don't have anything left because you've already you've already given away so much to get mac and trubisky and you made other trades and you made other allocations so you don't have many ways of getting better outside of player development and if your best players or your most important players don't develop you are in football hell they are. And like it's the situation where like this next offseason, I don't know if you've been looking at it, but they are so screwed because they're going to have to cut bait with a few guys. It's almost like a situation with the Blackhawks after they won those Stanley Cups and you got to reload, except the Bears can't reload because they're just there's so many contracts that are up and they have so much money tied up at some of these big name guys like Khalil Mack. And it's going to come at the expense of a future talent. Now, when they're giving away draft picks and completely boneheaded trades, trading up for Trubisky. I mean, my, with the 49ers, I think it was, that might end up being like one of the worst of all time uh, down the line because <laughs> it didn't need to do that. But I think that that combination and also just, I mean, I'm glad I don't listen to, to sports radio as much in Chicago now because I'm sure a lot of guys are saying we should trade for Mariota and, and Cam Newton. That's not going to fix. Like, slow your roll. That's not going to fix this team. I think there's bigger issues at play. I think you touched on it with Kyle Long and the offensive line not being what it used to be. Matt Nagy maybe not being as good of a coach as people were thinking last year. I think maybe he got too cute with the with the trick plays and stuff, and that's just not going to work anymore. But my big fear this week, just you know, just talking about week week eight, is I do you think like Nagy might end up like overcompensating for last week by running it too much? It almost seems like he'd be like reactionary this week. 
I don't know. I, I try and stick to my gut with a lot of this stuff, and I've really eliminated a lot of the second and third guessing. I mm-hmm. I just think that there's nobody that is wanting to bet the bear. Like last week, there was actually still some people around, and, and not just in Chicago, because Chicago fans are always going to bet Chicago teams. But nationally, I can't I can't find one person that wants to bet on the Bears here. And I'm looking at the ticket splits, uh, 73% of the tickets on the Chargers. Line has already been blasted from six and a half down to four. I mean, this is, this is a handout to me. Not that it's going to win, but just if I were to tell you before the season that the Bears would only be laying four at home to the Chargers, you would have bet a lot of money on that. So I'm trying not to overreact. And I really think this Bears defense – is going to eat the Chargers alive. Phillip Rivers, he, he just can't throw the ball down the field anymore. So I think it's it's a better matchup for Chicago defense against the Charger offense than it is for anything the Chargers can do to Mitch Trubisky. That, I'm, that's what I'm sticking to. It may be right. It may be wrong. Um, but that's the way I'm rolling this weekend. No, I, I mean, I agree. If, if there's any team to look at at this point, uh, it's the Bears. I mean, I, I on my stuff, I don't want to get involved till three, which we're not going to see. I mean, most likely, unless like something on game day, the ticket splits and the, the, some money to back that up more on the Chargers. But yeah, clearly, if you're going to bet on the Chargers, the ship has sailed on the value. And if anything, now there's there's betting value on the Bears. So I hope you're right, man. I mean, it's one of those spots where like both of these teams had had pretty sky high expectations entering the year and everything's just went south for both of them I mean, with injuries and boneheaded coaching mistakes and the, obviously the Melvin Gordon thing. Um, in, in LA, but then obviously in Chicago, we know all the issues here. So it'll be an interesting game, and I hope you cash it. I, you know, if it, if it ticks down to three, that's when I'll get involved. But right now, I don't know, man. I, I got to see it first. Maybe I'll get involved in running or something. Well, by the time you see it, then the bookmakers will over adjust. And then if you jump on the bear next week, then you'll be screwed. Yeah, I know. You got to beat weird. it. You got to beat the, you got to beat the market correction. And I think the market is overcorrected. No. Uh, like I said, you know, you can do the work and that's, that's the funniest part about this racket. You can do the work like in college basketball, you could beat a total by eight points on the under and then the game goes to overtime, right? Or you can, right, you, can right. you know, you could be all set in football. You're laying, you're laying seven and you know, the, the kick goes up for the extra point and it bongs off the upright and you win by six. I mean, you could do so many things right with your handicapping and still lose. And I think that's why we still chase it at the end of the day. I've I've come to the point now with my betting that like when I when I make a bet I just think and this maybe has helped me like in like a therapeutic psychological way but whenever I make a bet now I just think you know obviously it has to be plus EV you know at least perceived and I just think in terms of if I made this bet a hundred times you know what's going to happen I, I it helps me come to terms with those you know when I'm watching the game and a crazy pick six happens or something like that I'm like all right well that's one of the the forty four or forty five out of the one hundred where I'm just going to get screwed. But you know, in my mind, if I'm making the bet, and I'm like, okay, at least 53, 55 of those 100 times, this one's going to come come out my way, then I'll make the bet. That's at least how I, like I train that. myself. Yeah, I like, I do. Mm-hmm. But it at least helps deal with some of those bad beats. I don't know, maybe you could have used that when you were on air with Vison with the with a five hundred dollar play on Bill O'Brien. So I just don't bet on Bill O'Brien anymore. I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at I'm looking at the board right now as we do this, and I'm looking at those sevens. They're all disappearing. Houston has had a lot of really good wins this year. Uh, you know th- th- that team is. If that team was a stock right now, they'd be they'd be near the top. They'd be near the peak. And I'm not saying that they can't cover against Oakland, but I think look ahead number was five, five and a half. It got to seven. They've already beaten the Chiefs. They've had a couple other good wins. 
this would sort of be the time to go against them. Um, and I, I'm never going to lay seven with Bill O'Brien. I, I know you right. said you made number seven, but mm-hmm. I, I, I've talked to a couple bookmakers that have said the sharp money is coming in against the Houston Texans. So uh, people are lining up to bet the Texans, but the big money is coming in on the Raiders so far. Yeah. My biggest bet last week was the Colts. So, you know that that like you just said, selling high on the Texans because they were coming off that that win over the Chiefs the week before, and the Colts were only. I mean, I get them at Pickham last week. Uh, that team's. I think still underrated by the marketplace. Although this week, you know, it's kind of tough because they're laying against the Broncos. I think it's a the numbers actually come down a little bit. So I'm assuming it was sharp money to move it because that was sitting at seven with, with a little less juice on the Colts. But now I'm seeing a lot of six and a halves and sixes out there. So I think that was a good spot to get in, but like, I don't disagree with you at all that the Texans are a team to maybe look to fade, especially since they put up so many points. It's more of a public team. I think because they're exciting to watch, you know, Deshaun Watson's amazing. I mean, another just terrible, uh, I guess whatever the opposite is of a feather in your cap for Ryan Pace is uh, passing up on not only Mahomes, but, but Deshaun Watson and trading up in the process to get to this piece. So let's, let's talk. Speaking of, uh, this is a perfect segue actually, and I'm a total amateur on journalism, but I got to give myself credit for this one. Speaking of bad coaches and bad uh, management decisions, the Cubs new manager. And I know you're a Sox guy, so I should preface this. I mean, I'm, I'm a Cubs guy myself, but most of my friends are Sox fans, and it makes sense, you know, our, our age group, the whole Michael Jordan connection. I, I know you're a South Sider too, so you have even more of a reason to be a Sox fan. But um, but the Cubs, man, like, and I, I want to hear your take on, on your White Sox, but first I want to hear what you think about the hiring of Grandpa Rossi as their manager. Like, I'm worried that, you know, his lack of experience, I mean, first of all, I, I think that's probably overrated, his lack of experience, but but I don't know about the type of clubhouse he's going to bring. And I, I'm, I'm still processing it, but do you have any thoughts on, on the Cubs hiring Grandpa Rossi as their new manager? I don't like it, but I don't like a lot of things that Theo has done over the last couple of years. And, and remember, and I, I get flack for this all the time. Like anytime I critique the Cubs, it, it, it's a freaking web. Anytime I critique the Cubs, oh, there's Sox boy. Oh, there's Sox Sox Sammy, you know, it's like, no, like I, I bang the hell out of the Sox. Like when the Sox deserve to get reamed, I will critique them. When the Bulls and the Blackhawks and the Bears and the Cubs deserve to get critiqued, I'm going to critique them. Name me, you're the Cubs guy, and I'm answering your question with a question. Name me a move in the last two years that Theo Epstein has made that you really, really liked. Can you? Yeah, I mean, or no, <laughs> that's my yes, agreeing with you. Well, right. so, okay, so that was a pretty quick that was a pretty quick answer out of you, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're you're going to be forever indebted to Theo because he broke the curse, and your grandparents and your great grand your great grandparents can finally rest in peace because the Cubs, you know, <laughs> like it's this weird friggin' web where they win the World Series in 2016, and you would think that bought Joe Madden. I mean, <laughs> Albert thought that would have bought him a lifetime contract, right? Um, but they're in the business of winning. And when they don't go to the postseason and go far, now Joe took them to the NLCS in 15. They win it in 16, NLCS in 17. They make the playoffs, granted a 163-type deal uh, in 2018. And then this year they miss the playoffs. I, it doesn't matter what the manager says to you or if he slaps you on the ass or, or yells at you in the club. Like the players have to perform. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Schwarber, he had a lot of home runs this year. It was a good year for him. But the growth from their core guys, right, their Albert Almoras and their Ian Haps and their Addison Russells, they've never developed a pitcher in Chicago. There's not one pitcher that Theo drafted 
that has turned into anything at the major league level. So when your older players move away so you can pay your younger guys, so you can pay your Chris Bryants and your Javi Baez's and your Anthony Rizzo's, when you don't have Dexter Fowler and you don't have a full season of Ben Zobrist and John Lackey is gone and David Ross is gone, when you lose all the vets, your younger players, not only do they have to get better and improve, they have to become leaders. And, and you go around that clubhouse and you're like, who were the guys in that clubhouse that are carrying the mail every day? And I don't know that you necessarily had that. That clubhouse in 15 and 16 with Lester and Lackey and Ross and Fowler and Zobris and Hayward, like they had a lot of good guys that were able to you know, lead by example. I don't know that you have that anymore. And your younger players haven't developed. And Theo's also given away a lot of bad contracts. I mean, the Brandon Morrow signing, right. a train wreck. Um, you know, the Tyler Chatwood, awful. So it's weird to me that they fired Joe Madden. I, I don't care that it's David Ross or Joe Girardi or, or Jose Espa or Joe Espada or whatever. I, I just think the players, at the end of the day in baseball, the players have to get you to where you want to go. And across the board last year, aside from maybe you, Darvish, they didn't do it, and and that's the reality. Now you could you could pick whoever you want to manage. I don't like hiring a a buddy because he's mm-hmm. he's friends with all those guys. I don't like that per se. Doesn't mean it won't work. But the players have to the players have to capitalize on the opportunities. They have to be the the players that they're expected to be in order for that team to do anything. It dawned on me when I was watching one of these first World Series games. You know, watching the Astros, who you know, obviously not looking good so far, but it just dawned on me, like, this is supposed to be the Cubs. They were supposed to be, I think the phrase that they used was, um, or I forget now, I've had something about like uh, sustained success. That's what it was. Yeah. And and where is that? I mean, after 16, if, if they didn't have that game six comeback, where are we sitting now if they don't make the playoffs the past few years and the window's closing on this on this team? And if they didn't win in 16, does Theo still even have it his feels, job right now? You know what? I mean, I, not not you. Doesn't it feel, and, and I mean, we're, we're in the moment right now, so we can't exactly pontificate on it. Like, we can't look back at it yet because it's still going on. Like, we're in the eye of the tornado right now. But if they don't win another World Series, we're talking about the 85 Bears all over again. It's right? the same thing. No, it's, it's, it's exactly the same. Right. A team that was that's so much promise, and you thought there was this big window of time where they'd be winning multiple titles, and that's just simply not happening. Or at least they're not even, like, in the picture now. I thought that they would be – the Astros, you know, that, that's the Cubs and the Astros were like on parallel paths for a couple of years there. They committed to the rebuild and just acquired, stockpiled all those draft picks and the, the young young arms, young bats. And the Astros have been like world beaters every year. You see their season win total at the start of the year. There's, you know, they're sitting in the in the nineties, high nineties. The Cubs are in the high eighties, and, and next year's season win total, who knows where that'll be? But that's the difference right there. That's the proof in the pudding. You know, I thought that. The Cubs would be in that Astros mold, but they're just a whole tier below. I remember being one of the first games I ever, one of the first seasons I covered baseball on the home side because I did road teams for a couple of years. I'd go and I'd interview all the road managers and players in baseball. But in 2012 was the year I was at Wrigley. I was calling it the March to 100. It was the Cubs and the Astros in late September. <laughs> and, they, and they both were at like 99 losses. Yeah. And the Cubs started a guy by the name of Jason Birkin, I think was on the hill that day. And, and I think Jason Birkin got the win. But, yeah, those two teams both lost 100 games in 2012. Oh and God. the Astros have certainly done it better because they've had more shots at the crown because they've been better over the course of that run. I think that Birkin guy was serving me my, my Chipotle today. I haven't even heard of that guy since then. 
Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, that's it's just how things have been going for the. It's it's kind of frustrating as a Cubs fan, but at the same time, like you know, I've always kind of blindly trusted Theo this whole time. You know, ever since day one, when I, I remember like when reports came out that someone spotted him at a Starbucks on Wrightwood and and I think it was Wrightwood and Southport, um, and someone spotted him and like you know just blew up in the news and like holy shit he's meeting with the with the Cubs brass and then quickly you know it's, oh, Cubs got Theo it's time now for this rebuild we're gonna make this happen it's come a long way since then we got the title but I can't help but think you know if, if he didn't have that title you know it's almost like he probably would it would be viewed as a disappointment you know and if they didn't have that that World Series from 2016 you're, you're uh, probably looking at a situation where the Cubs are back at square one almost I mean they obviously have a lot of young talent still but it's um, it's been frustrating I mean we did get the title I'm never gonna fully complain but it's still been frustrating. So uh, let's move to the other side of town where where your White Sox are are in the middle of that rebuild. I really want to hear your thoughts on how that's going so far and and maybe even like if you compare it to the Cubs rebuild. But do you have any faith in, in the Sox uh, getting this done right and being being actual contenders in the next year or two? Well, wait, are, we, are they rebuilding? Because Dave Kaplan told me they weren't rebuilding anymore on TV like two months ago. And I, I, I almost fainted. No, I guess they're well, if Cap says they're not rebuilding, then I guess, you know, they're not rebuilding, even though the GM the week before said that they just ended the beginning of the rebuild. So I, whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever stage very, they're at. It's, it's very similar. I mean, they, they did what the Cubs did where they, you know, they dug the tree out of the ground and, and they got rid of all the branches and all the leaves and they planted the new tree. I mean, this, the, the longest tenured White Sox right now is Leori Garcia. So they, they have completely flipped everything from, you know, 2011, 12, 13. And now these pieces are slowly beginning to matriculate in the minors. Luis Robert is a monster. And Michael Kopech will be back next year from Tommy John. Uh, you've got Nick Madrigal, the second baseman. Andrew Vaughn was their first-round pick last year. And he hit a whole lot of bombs, uh, granted an A-ball this year. You've got other pitchers, Dane Dunning. Uh, who also had Tommy John. You're just starting to see these guys come up. And Moncada, yo, Moncada had about as good of a year as he could. He had a very similar year to Mookie Betts. But because Mookie Betts was the MVP last year, and it's like, oh, well, Mookie Betts is much better than Moncada. No, put Betts and Moncada's years in 2019 side by side, it's hard to tell which player's which. So Moncada had a really good year. Eloy Jimenez almost hit 30 home runs. So you can see it. You can You can envision it. And now I just think you need the right manager. I feel bad for Ricky Renteria. I, I don't think he's the guy when they're ready to win. But he was so good with those young cubbies when they came up. and right. It's like, almost the same exact role. Yeah, they're going to dump him right before the, it, I, the title I run. No, I think Omar Vizquel is the manager when they're good. Now, you know, what do I know? Um, but I, Ricky just – I think Ricky – I think he's a minus manager. I think he's good with the young Latin players and he was a former first round pick himself. So he knows what it's like to go in and out of games and up and down. But I still think they need a a stronger presence in that locker room when they're ready to win. So I think a guy like Omar Vizquel would be better and they're grooming him already in the minors. He's already rising quickly, but it's just, it's exciting to see them. Now you need uh, now you need these prospects to turn into players, right? Because prospects only go so far. You only get that prospect tag for a year or two, and then all right, can you play or can you not? And I think they've done a good job, Nick Costetler and Rick Kahn. They've they've allocated their 
resources accordingly. And they've, they've done a good job of not only pitching, but, but also hitting. And then when you have Chris Sale and Jose Quintana, you're able to flip those guys for prospects and Adam Eaton and all that. So it's good, but you got, you got to get them up and you got to, you got to make sure the players develop. What if I made this prop? Will the Sox have more wins than the Cubs next year? The yes would be plus about a dollar thirty-five. The no would be minus one sixty-five. How would you bet that? I would say no, still, just because. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean that's not the worst price, but just because I'm trying to go through like the divisions in my head right now. I guess that now that I'm thinking about the AL Central, not some of the lack of talent. Yeah, that, I guess that does kind of bring it down for me in my head. But just off first impression, I would think the Cubs. You might see some sort of injection uh, with with Rossi in the fold, and I and also obviously it depends on what they do with their off seasons and stuff. So I, I don't know uh, which direction they're going to go. I mean, obviously if the White Sox start becoming buyers and and changing the lineup and, and acquiring guys to make that push, then my opinion can change. But I still think the Cubs, you know, they're they're still in clear go for it mode, quote unquote, in this window. And the White Sox, I don't think they've totally made their intentions clear. So if it's just straight up, who is a better record at? You know, if, what were the odds again? Minus, we said minus one sixty-five and plus one thirty-five. So splitting the difference would be minus one fifty. Yeah, so, so, so. You look at the, the AL Central though, and this is the the elixir. The Royals won fifty-nine games last year. The Tigers won forty-seven. Mm-hmm. It's thirty-eight games against those two teams. I imagine the Twins will regress a little bit from one hundred and one. They won one hundred and one. Uh, the Indians are getting older every season. They won ninety-three. Sox won seventy-two. I think the Sox can win about, I think, like 87 games next year. And I'd put the Cubs win total at about 88, 89. Um, Interesting. Now, that's the stealing for the Sox. That's like their, you know. I was going to say, that's, yeah. that's a jump on the Sox. I, mean, I think their win total this year, if I'm not mistaken, was like 74, 75. And but the Cubs want, was 89. Castellanos, if they sign Castellanos, who has been, has been rumored to want to stay in Chicago, and if it's not the Cubs, it'll be the Sox. I know they want Anthony Rendon to play third. If you bring those two bats in, you bring up some pitching. Uh, hopefully, Kopech is back. Carlos Rodon is back. They've got a closer already. That team is uh, that team is pretty close to being a contender, no doubt. Mm-hmm. So, in order to uh, consider it a success for you um, at the end of next year, I guess, like where would you want the team to finish? I mean, or I guess maybe not even like next year, but like where would you want to see them? you know, a year from now, if we were having the same conversation in order to, to feel good about the Sox moving forward. A success would be 85 wins next year. Uh, the icing on the cake would be a wild card spot. And then I want a division title by 2021. I think that's fair. If you, if you, follow, if you follow what they've done since trading Sale and Eaton and Quintana, they bottomed out. Last, last year they were like 63, 64 wins. This year, 72, I think – 85 is, is not out of the equation uh, going forward uh, for 2020. And then you better be ready to go by 2021. You better be ready to contend for a division title because at that point, uh, all your stalwarts that are on the team now, Moncada and, and Jimenez and Tim Anderson and Zach Collins and all the guys we talked about in the rotation, they're going to still be here. And then you add in all the young guys. I mean, that's, that's 2015 Cubs and that team I believe they won the wild card, and then they beat the Cardinals yep. in the first round of the playoffs. So I think that's yep. a very similar path um, that you should pay attention to. 
I've been to actually thought the same thing entering this year. I thought maybe it was a, a year too soon, clearly that ended up being the case, but I thought even entering this year that the White Sox can have a, an almost 2015 Cubby-esque type of year, but it looks like, like you said, that's in line to be next year potentially. So obviously you can't expect anything of that caliber because I think the Cubs won in the high nineties or something like that, you know, in their 2015 year, but, but still they can make a jump quickly, especially if, you know, if they get off to a nice start, if they're in an easy division it can happen. So we shall see. Uh, before we finish up, because I know this is always going, it always goes longer than I expected to, but this has been great. I always ask this to to my guests, or at least I haven't for a while, but if I gave you a thousand bucks right now and all the odds were equal, so odds are not part of the equation, which Chicago team wins the next championship? Which team do you put that thousand dollars on? Probably the Chicago Blackhawks, only because I don't believe in the Bears offense. I don't think the Cubs have the pitching. I mean, that rotation next year, you're not going to have Cole Hamels. John Lester will be 36 next year. Yu uh, Darvish probably has a little regression. The White Sox, I think, are probably still from a World Series contender, probably two or three years away. You still have Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Corey Crawford. You still have some heavy hitters in that fold. you got some younger players like DeBrinkett and Dylan Strom. If they get in to the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know this, eight seeds and seven seeds go far in that right. damn bracket. They can. So as long as you get in, I think they have the best chance. I don't I don't know how much longer that's going to be a thing. But I, if I had to pick one of the five, I'd probably go Blackhawks one and White Sox two. That's how I would roll right now. So Blackhawks would be my answer. Not a popular one, uh, but given the, the superstar and the Hall of Fame players that they have – I still think that they'd probably be the best bang for my buck. I agree with you 100% on that. I said you're the first one that said the Blackhawks on that, but I agree just because the the turnarounds can happen quickly in hockey. And if you get the right mix of guys in with those veterans, it might not be this year, but even if it's next year, you can make a run. And like you said, if you're hot at the right time when the hockey playoffs start, the seed does not matter. Let's close out with uh, a few of our favorite bets of the weekend. I guess if you want to share some of yours, you've already kind of teased ahead that you are on the Bears this week at minus four, but what, what else you got on your card in, in college football and NBA or sorry, NFL? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like the bears minus four. I'm going to play the Thursday night game. I know this will be up by then. I played under 42, but in college I'm, I'm walking the plank still against Ohio state. So chicken dinner this year, shameless plug at chicken X dinner. The podcast is on hiatus, but the picks still go out. I, I am 18 and 13 with pro in college. And three of those losses are going against Ohio state. So clearly I have an Ohio State problem. I, I think they're top three in the country, but I also think it's fair to say they haven't played anybody and they haven't been tested physically yet. And Wisconsin can do that. Do I like Wisconsin to beat Ohio State? No, because I'm not a crazy person, but <laughs> it's a number. How do you not pull Wisconsin plus 14 and a half? Because you know their offensive line is very good and very physical. They can push off the line, go back and watch that Michigan game. They were, they were tossing Michigan's D-line around like ragdolls. The physicality of Wisconsin, it's a buy-low spot because they just lost to Illinois. I'm not really that phase. I took 14-and-a-half with Wisconsin, and I think the market correction on Notre Dame and Michigan is just too strong. Um, I was really impressed with Michigan's ability to bounce back in that second half against Penn State. They could have laid down and died. They were down 21 to nothing, and then they were a drop ball away from tying it up 28-28. to 28. I was very impressed with their resiliency. I still think Dylan McCaffrey's a better quarterback than Shea Patterson, but 
the game is at Michigan last time. Right. Right? And uh, Michigan look ahead was minus four, four and a half. Now Michigan's plus one. I, I, I'm going to take Harbaugh at home here, prime time under the lights. So I took Wisconsin plus 14 and a half. And I took Michigan plus one in college on top of my Bears minus four. I am. We are simpatico on those two college games. Um, I'm especially Wisconsin plus 14 and a half. And I'm, I'm on that under as well. It has ticked down on Wednesday was, I got 51, but it's sitting at 50, 49 and a half. But it's just, I totally agree with you on the Wisconsin offensive line. They have everyone healthy this week with their, uh, their starting senior guard. One of the guards was out last week against Illinois. And, and let's be real. That was a total look ahead spot. Obviously Illinois, won the game outright and it was an amazing story. And I, I bet them I had the plus 30 and a half in, in pocket, but, but it was a spot where Wisconsin was paying attention to next week. They're trying to get all their ducks in a row and you know, they're looking ahead. It was a classic look ahead spot for this game against Ohio state. I've lost money against Ohio state the past few weeks as well, but this line is inflated. Anything over 14, it's just, it, it got to take the Wisconsin team here, especially in a spot where I think they're just going to slow down the game behind that, that running game with Jonathan Taylor and, and Michigan, too. I agree with you, man. It's a plus one. That's quite the overreaction. My only worry on that one is, is you know, Michigan kind of knows now that, you know, their their title hopes are obviously shot. Their Big Ten title hopes are shot, most likely. And this is a spot, you know, to use the, the phrase like the dream crusher scenario where, you know, you, what you were playing for the whole season is no longer in reach. Is there a letdown spot? But I think you can counter that right away by looking at that second half against Penn State. Michigan looked like the better team. They've showed a lot of good fight. I think they can carry that momentum in into uh, this home game against Notre Dame. Yeah, I got one final thought on Ohio State. I've talked to a couple bookmakers in Vegas who have told me that they've they've had to make, because Ohio State is so good against the spread this year, I think they're 6-1 ATS, right? Because they've just been railroading teams, and because everybody bets them, not only straight up, but in parlays and teasers, money line parlays too, they have had to inflate Ohio State by three and a half, four points per game. And then people are still betting the inflated number and moving it through a key number. Right. You know, like these- and, and, and that's to, to that point, I would not be surprised at all. And I wrote about this for, for Bet Indiana News and Bet Chicago, how I would not be surprised if that line is 16, 16 and a half come Sunday, Saturday, because uh, the game's in the morning. But even Friday night, whatever one, you know, Joe Public's making his bets for the weekend. They're going to bet Ohio State because they've been cashing on Ohio State every single yeah, week. And so I would not be surprised if that ticks up. You're you know? right. Well, but the thing is, at, at the same time, though, I didn't want – I wanted the hook, right? So I, I, mm-hmm. I, I – because 15, 16, to me, those are dead numbers. I, I don't mm-hmm. care. I, I, I wanted to just pump in the 14 and a half, knowing that the right. final score yeah. is 28-14, I'll cash a ticket. So it's yeah. it's a double-edged sword there, I understand. But I, I saw the point five, and I, I couldn't I couldn't wait. Yeah, my my theory. Whenever situations like this come into play, is I always put in a partial position at the number where it's currently fourteen and a half. I put a partial position, but I'm looking to fill it out with. I mean, I doubt this hits seventeen. If it does, you're going to probably see immediate sharp buyback at seventeen. But but uh, you know, if I can add a little bit more, fifteen sixteen on Friday night, early Saturday morning, that's the way I'm going to look. But I agree with you. We had to take some of that fourteen and a half right now, no doubt. Amen. All right, dude. Well, that was that was awesome. Always goes longer than expected, but that was. That was just simply amazing, man. I mean, just to be able to talk to you, former VEASAN host, and and uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit. It's been amazing that you, you really have a, a way with knowing the industry, and you've, you're obviously quite connected. So thank you so much for coming on the pod. I know that the Doggy Juice Pod listeners, all, all 50 of them, are, are going to really appreciate hearing this one. Mike, appreciate the offer, man. Anytime. All right, dude. I'll catch you later. All right. Thank you very much, Sammy P. That was 
incredibly awesome. With all due respect to my former guest, that guy is the most famous person that we've had on the Doggy Juice Pod so far. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter at SPShoot, and keep an eye out for him on Chicago TV and radio. Big things coming from him in the future, no doubt. All right, so I know this pod is getting very long. Let's quickly touch on some more weekend best bets. College football week nine. I already touched on this with Sam, but Wisconsin plus 14 and a half and under 50. I wrote about this game for Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News, touching more on why I like these plays at those numbers. And Sam and I discussed it too, so I won't belabor the point here. We also touched on Michigan, um, and I, I agree with Sam on that one. I don't have as big of a position on the Wolverines, but I did bet them at plus one. If, if that game got up to plus three, then it would be a real great value spot, but that's just not going to happen, so. It's still a fit at plus one. Purdue. The numbers don't scream any value at all here, but the spot totally does. Illinois is coming off one of the biggest wins in the Lovey Smith era. Actually, the biggest win in Lovey Smith's tenure. Uh, I got this game lined at, at, at close to where the market number is, but I still bet on Purdue at minus nine and minus nine and a half. The line has since ticked up to ten now. So a lot of the value is lost, but nothing wrong with a small small position on the Boilermakers here. It's just a spot where you just know Illinois was not focusing as hard on practice early in the week. They had all those TV interviews and, and all of the pop and circumstance from their big historic upset win as 30-point underdogs against Wisconsin last week, who was clearly looking ahead for their game uh, against Ohio State uh, this weekend. So it's just a spot where Illinois, it's not like they all of a sudden became a really good team last week, far from it. And I think they've been sitting high off that big win. So total letdown spot for them here against the Purdue team that I think is really starting to build momentum with their replacement quarterback. <laughs> Northwestern plus 10 or better against my Iowa Hawkeyes. For a smaller position, I, I got involved at 10.5, but uh, it's not pretty. And I, I wrote about this in my Big Ten Saturday preview. Um, but I, I have this game lying closer to Iowa minus 7, and I bet Northwestern at plus 10.5. The game's totaled at 37. So points are going to be hard to come by in Evanston this weekend. There is a scary trend on the Hawkeyes. They've been world beaters as um, again as favorites on the road, but you know, you can't look too much into that trend. I think that could be part of why this line's actually what it is. Uh, just too many point, points according to my numbers, so I will take the 10 with Northwestern for a smaller position, like a half unit. And then finally Temple plus 11 against Central Florida. This is a good spot to get into play on the Owls and fade Central Florida on the road again. We did it a couple weeks ago with great success here on the podcast. This line's starting to move. It's still playable at 10 or over for me, but I really think you should try to get 11 if you can, if it's still out there in the marketplace right now, so you're not kicking yourself when Central Florida's up four points and gets that late touchdown to seal it and win it by 11, uh, which I still don't expect to happen, though. Before I move on to NFL, let's hear what our pal Danimal has to say about this week's card. Hey everybody, Danimal here, checking in week eight. Not going to lie, week seven, not my best. Pretty sure I was about 500, and I, and I gambled all day, went at a wedding, and then hung over the next day, flying on a plane, just an awful, awful combo as I got handed to me. Anyways, new week, fresh, ready to go. Week 8 college football. I'm not sure if it's 9, but let's just go with week 8. couple totals to start. Wazoo, Oregon, over 64.5. As you saw, Oregon, good defense, but Washington managed to hit 30 on them. Wazoo, some time to prep. They're going to be slinging the pill. They're ready to score. I don't see any way this doesn't hit 65 points. 
Air Force, Utah State, under 58. Air Force has been scoring a good amount, but Utah State, after the first couple of games, have been under team. They just aren't scoring. I think this is a close, tough, pounding the football game. This stays under the total of 58. Memphis over Tulsa. Minus 10, 10 and a half. Tulsa stinks. They've lost three in a row. Memphis, after that hard Temple loss, blew out Tulane as only, I think, two or three point favorites. So give me Memphis, minus 10 and a half. Tulsa loses four straight. Wyoming, minus 14 over Nevada. Nevada got smoked last week at Utah State. Now they have to travel to Wyoming. Elevation, this is over. This is blowout city. Wyoming, minus 14. SDSU, minus 13 and a half at UNLV. Might be 14, might be 13 and a half. Obviously a difference, but UNLV stinks. Hence the story, they stink. SDSU doesn't score much. The total is in the mid to low 40s. But this has 28, 30 to 3, all over it. Lastly, I can't forget him, my totals guy. IU Nebraska over 51, 52. This guy's on fire. He can't lose. He won't. He won't lose. NFL got a three-pack here. Jets plus seven over the Jags. Yes, the Jets looked like a high school team the other night. Darnold seeing ghosts. I'm just not sold on the Jags. I don't think Minshew is that good at all. I saw his um, completion percentage is under 50%. This game stays within the score. Take the Jets, get in six and a half, get in seven. Niners minus six. They're a machine right now. I mean, it was only 9 nothing last weekend in Washington, but I was there, not the game, but in the city, and it was pouring. So I think it's impressive. They pulled the shutout. I just can't bet against them right now. I don't like Carolina. Give me the Niners minus six. Last, Texans minus seven over the Raiders. Raiders came back to earth last week, got blown out against the pack. I think it continues. They have to be getting exhausted. They've been on the road for 100 straight games to London, back. They get blown out. Houston Texans minus seven over the Raiders. And that's that's what I got. Hopefully I'll be invited back on to the Roselli podcast by the end of this year. Probably not. Big league for sure. Anyways, have a great weekend, everybody. Mortgage Bets Central. Danimal out. All right, thank you, Danimal. And seeing as how you are now a Doggy Juice Pod staple, I am not going to let you go anytime soon. I'm sure I'll be bringing you back on sooner rather than later for another interview to break down some games. I definitely lean Danimal's way on the Jets this week. If that one gets up to plus seven, I'm definitely going to get involved at that price uh, with him. And I, I have the 49ers line pretty close to where it is, but I think that the Emmanuel Sanders trade actually solidifies them as legitimate NFC contenders. I, it wasn't me, officer. It wasn't me. Uh, Sanders, he played in an almost identical offense to Kyle Shanahan's in Denver, so it should be a quick transition for him uh, in moving to San Francisco, uh, playing in that type of offense. And Otherwise, no opinion from me on most of those Danimal plays, although you should all be on the lookout for which quarterbacks are starting for both Nebraska and Indiana this week before betting on that total that he gave out. All right, let's move on to NFL Week 8. All right, we have nine teams playing in the morning slate, three in the afternoon, and three primetime games, of course. Two teams are on by Dallas and Baltimore. Games I like this week, the Buccaneers. Plus three would be a full position for me, but I do like it for less at plus two and a half. It's a money line at that number. Got this game lined pretty close to a pick em. It's a spot where I just want to get involved on them coming off their bye week. I've, I've been playing on this team for the most part. In 2019, I'm a big 
believer in Bruce Arians as a coach, and I think this is a good spot to get involved on them with extra time to prepare for the Titans, who are coming off that emotional victory over the Chargers at home, that crazy ending where they had two, uh, the Chargers had two game-winning touchdowns overturned by replay in the final minute of play, so the Titans somehow escaped that game, you know, Anthony Lynn with his terrible coaching, so give me the Bucks here um, in, in this spot. If it gets up to plus three, then a full position on them. The Chiefs, plus four or better. It looks like Mahomes is not going to play now, so I, th- I thought it was a good idea to get involved early on the Chiefs and take that position as somewhat of a free roll in case Mahomes does somehow come back because this line is literally flipped the other way. The Chiefs minus three and a half, minus four if Mahomes does play. But um, this is a spot where Moore is a serviceable backup and Andy Reid with extra time to prepare uh, for the fat and happy Packers. If you remember, the the Chiefs are coming off a Thursday night game last week, so they've had extra time. And if you're aware of Andy Reid's numbers coming off the bye or with extra time to prepare against the spread, he always seems to beat the market. And I really am fine with, with trusting Reed to figure things out with more with the extra time to, to move the offense here. And four points is just too much with the Packers here to lay. In this spot, they keep winning, so obviously the market's got to adjust accordingly. But I do think the Chiefs have value here. And that rare underdog role with Mahomes sitting out the game. I'm taking a hard look at the Giants catching a full touchdown at Detroit. Uh, the Quandry Diggs trade to the Seahawks did not send a good message to the Lions players this week. I think that's really hard. How do you deal with that as a player when you see uh, one of your fellow teammates getting traded and getting blindsided by it? You know, reports came out that he had no idea that this was coming. So, unfortunately, it looks like the market is on to this, and you have to pay a premium now to get a full touchdown with the Giants. Uh, seeing extra juice on the plus seven, a lot of six and a halves out there right now, but I'm going to need that full touchdown to get involved. So, shop around, try and find that full seven with, with normal juice if you can. And then a smaller position on the Dolphins on Monday Night Football, catching plus 14 or more. you got to catch two touchdowns or more on this one. Uh, it's going to be tough for the Steelers to get margin with an offense that really doesn't air it out at all. If you look at some of their numbers, they really don't throw the ball much past the line of scrimmage. Uh, it's going to be tough for them to build a margin in this game. And not only that, but they're going to want to play it safe with their quarterback, Mason Rudolph, coming off that terrible concussion against the Ravens a few weeks ago. So I just think they're not going to want to be as aggressive with him, play it safe, look for the, the safer conservative plays. And on the other side of the ball, the Dolphins, I mean, yeah, of course, are the worst team in the NFL, worst on my power ratings by far. But at 14, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback, I like them to stay in that number more often than not. So grin and bear it with the ugly road dog on Monday night football. And then finally, the Bills, I lean the Bills. I haven't gotten involved at minus two. I have this game lined at just or I have them minus 3.1. So any situation where they're laying less than a field goal here is a good spot against the Eagles, who they're not playing their third consecutive difficult row game. Uh, if you remember correctly, I was I was pretty big on Minnesota at minus three a couple weeks ago. They beat uh, Philadelphia outright at home, and then last week the Cowboys beat the Eagles as well. And now the Eagles have to play another tough row game against one of the best defenses in the league in Buffalo. And I think the market is overvaluing the Eagles, expecting them to finally make it happen this week. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Plus the Bills, they were outgamed by the Dolphins last week. They are kind of punched in the mouth early in that game. We're honestly kind of lucky to win that game outright. Uh, there's a situation where they got a turnover in the red zone. They're about to go down two scores in the second half in that game. So I think the game really got the Bills' attention, and they're going to come into this game against the Eagles with a little chip on their shoulder to take out Carson Wentz and really solidify themselves. Uh, but I have not played that game yet. All right, so thank you very much for listening. I know this podcast went a little long, but I hope you enjoyed it. NBA season is underway, so I'll be looking to dive a bit more into that in upcoming pods. And, of course, college hoop season 
This is less than two weeks away as well. And for those of you who know me, uh, you know that college hoops is my favorite sport to handicap. That's going to do it. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice. And be sure to give this podcast a rating and a review on iTunes. Give it a subscribe. Whatever you can do to help grow the pod. Our listenership has grown quite a bit this season since we've went on this new platform. And I would love to hear all of your feedback. Trying to make this as good as we can. And I really appreciate all of you listening and tuning in every week. It's, it's so much fun to do this. And it was really fun bringing on a guy like Sam today. All right, everyone. I will talk to you all next week. Enjoy the games this weekend. And good luck with your action. Doggy Juice out.